0: Hello and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. For this episode, we listened to OT Uncorked episode 26, Beyond Covid, Occupational Disruption and Wellbeing. These are highlights of our conversation all about how Covid has impacted our work lives as well as home lives and, inspired by OT Uncorked, the kind of drinks we enjoy. So why don't you grab yourself a wine or whatever your favourite tipple is and have a listen.
1: I have to say my topic for the start for this one is I've never seen wine generate so much discussion so I think we should start with anybody genuinely got a glass of wine at this moment in time or got a top recommendation for us? I have to say I feel a bit bad because I've actually got a beer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If I'd got some wine in the house it would have been opened believe me. I don't discriminate. We have guests drinks here. We're open to whatever. I have
3: to say, when I listened to the podcast, I was like, I have like a really terrible memory. So I was like, I'm going to write a few things down. And the first thing I wrote down was the fact they drink wine and advertise it. I like that. It's like the thing that stood out to me. And lots of other things stood out to me as well.
4: (laughs) But. Also that you talk about wine from like a, there's a real occupational perspective to it, like that connection and identity and what you were doing. And
2: yeah, it's nice. Thank you. Wine, super fun. So I'm glad I get to share it. <laughs> I, Only have water today because I am pregnant. So I have not been drinking for the past six months.
4: (laughs) Wow.
2: Congratulations. Sarah. Thank you. (laughs) So unfortunately, I mean, it is not even noon here, so probably wouldn't be drinking anyway. But yeah, can't partake in that.
0: (laughs) I nearly forgot to come, so didn't leave myself enough time because I was playing a game with my kids
2: but thankfully,
0: the husband is doing bedtime and he's on strict orders that as soon as bedtime is done, he is bringing wine.
5: Um, I was meant to, but I, like Case, was running late. And now I wish I had a drink. So I might take, <laughs> I might take a, a two minute break <laughs> and go and get a beer. But I don't drink wine. Um, I'm a beer girl.
1: Yeah. So I don't have any currently because I'm trying to re-engage in Slimming World and wine is liquid calories. (laughs) And I have to say, Sarah, I'm not a huge drinker, but as Fiona talked about that associations that we Mm -hmm. have with wine, wine is all about the social context and the occasions. And it surprised me when I was pregnant, how much I missed it, that hitting those like social occasions, certainly with my first, I went to my brother's wedding and there was like beautiful, like quality alcohol there. And I was like there with my water, slightly mardy
2: <laughs> Oh, I, so I'm actually, I agree with the beer drinkers in the group. I'm much more of a beer drinker. I love IPAs and like hazy IPAs. And I love going to craft breweries and just sitting and hanging out and chatting and, you know, that whole like occupational experience. And now well, with COVID and everything, we're not going out. But like, when my husband has a beer, I'll just be like, can I smell it? it. So now
1: we've had a lovely discussion about drinks. What else did people want to bring up about the podcast?
0: I think I really liked it in a way that I wasn't expecting to I don't really know why because I don't I'm not sure I really knew what I was expecting it to be about but then when it started the, I think the introduction was focusing more on the fact that they'd set up beyond covid but then it hit on so many different aspects of my life right now and just sort of flew around in all these interesting bits and I was going oh yeah yeah definitely oh definitely oh, yes and that and that and that just sort of for the whole time and it's it's quite a long one. But it flew past and it, it was finishing before I even noticed. So, yeah, I liked it.
4: I think I'd, I'd be the same, but I think possibly slightly differently. I like the fact that it, I felt it kind of challenged me a little bit to, I think, for so long I've worked within the health service or within education. And if we have something to offer as OTs, why do we keep it stuck within a certain setting? Why shouldn't it be shared in different formats, I guess, was the bit that challenged me a little bit. But in particular, the idea of pockets of joy, I love this idea of pockets of joy. And I think of like even this evening to my mum, just talking to my mum on the phone, both our parents feeling quite down at the moment, feeling quite isolated. But actually getting them to think, well, OK, you need to think about your pockets of joy. If you really like the jam on your toast, then that was a really positive thing. And if you if you've got some really nice coffee at the moment, that's really enjoy that coffee. I love that concept. That was, um, I think, what I needed to hear. Actually, a couple of days ago. So, yeah.
1: Pockets of joy was the first thing Pockets I wrote down. Joy. Yeah, I loved Absolutely. it. Absolutely, I thought it was just. It reminded me of um, who's that like tidy person? Marie Kondo. That's it, who talks about, it? does something bring you joy? And spark if it doesn't, joy, get rid of your life. That's what yeah. it reminded me of, about
4: paying attention in your life. But also... Things that do spark joy. It was the like a bit like brief solution-focused therapy, where you're looking for the minutiae in your day-to-day life that's maybe on the right track. Um, yeah, and I think we've all got that, even if the day feels really tough at the moment. There are moments when... Something tastes nice or looks nice or sounds nice or smells nice or, yeah, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a really small part of that process. I liked it.
3: Yeah, I, I like. I really liked it too. I ended up listening it. I kind of listened to it in about three different parts. And uh, when, the the pockets of joy thing, when you, I know Fiona, you'd put in one of the messages about pockets of joy, and I was like, oh no, I've missed the pockets of joy. I was like, but I hadn't got there yet. I hadn't got. I was like, how did I miss this bit? It sounds lovely. And 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 then and it was when I got there. But yeah, I just like the whole thing. I found myself thinking, kind of almost reflecting on it as a personal kind of point of view, as much as a from a kind of working with client point of view, I suppose, and that experience we're just thinking about this experience of COVID that I probably hadn't really kind of thought about actually that much was just living it and and just lots of kind of things like really resonated and there was a bit about kind of having conversations with people um that they didn't know and that kind of fear of you know passing things on or getting things and yes it really because I had like a similar situation at a like an outdoor market and it was I was so excited to be at this outdoor market because it was about the most exciting thing I'd done in about six months but I stood there Just like "Mm, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, and that is this how it's going to be? So that's kind of yeah, things like that really resonated. But there was a really kind of hopeful vibe that came out of the podcast. I think to be fair, there was things will things will get better, but also that actually they don't necessarily have to go back to how they were either. And that I quite like that type of thing. That there was a little phrase was something about stitching a new garment. I don't know who said that. but I was like, oh, I like the sound of that. (laughs) Just like yeah. So I thought it was really really thought provoking.
2: I think something, too, that struck me when I was interviewing them is that Anna was talking about how when she was walking outdoors, socially distanced with a client, and she started to kind of feel that anxiety of, There's so many people out, so many people not wearing masks and how she was able to use that moment therapeutically. And just how this is, it's this universal experience, but at the same time, each person's experiencing it very, very differently. But it's a common barrier, I think is the word that Anna used. And we have this common barrier, but we're all experiencing it very differently. And we don't necessarily as clinicians or as researchers need to pretend that we have it all together because we're experiencing the barrier, too. And just how she was able to kind of navigate that situation by saying, you know, I'm actually really anxious right now too. But instead of just telling someone else, here's some strategies you can use, it was really kind of collaborative. And I think she talked about being in the therapeutic space together. um, And that really resonated with me as well.
1: I thought that too. Not entirely sure exactly when it was recorded, but it kind of felt like it had been in almost that what in the UK has felt like a little bit of a lull period, like we'd had lockdown one in UK terms, and then it got a bit better. And then it got a little bit worse. But then it's it was like before it got really bad again. So it was like, I think there's been something just of that COVID journey. Like, I like the fact it's just called Beyond COVID about seeing beyond it and had that sense of time scale. Like, none of us expected it to still be here. I know when we said we'd listen to this one back at the end of November, we were like, oh, we won't want to discuss COVID after soon. (laughs) Well, actually, I think we might be. (laughs) But just that real sense of, journey almost within it and a changing picture and but yeah it did feel hopeful like it saw the reality of the picture but it
2: also saw beyond it and just to piggyback on that comment that was something that stood out to me miranda I think you asked was was there a difference between the resources that they were providing? in the beginning compared to like what they're putting out now. And in my head, like before they even answered, I was like, no, like it's all COVID, right? They're, they're all going to be putting out the same stuff. And then when they started explaining their answer, I'm like, yeah, that that's completely right. Like, I think all of us thought it was going to be here for a week or two or maybe a month or something like that, but that for sure, we wouldn't be talking about it come 2021. And also the adjustment, because like some people have, I was actually, I interviewed a guest a couple of weeks ago and she's still working in person. She's going into the hospital. Like her daily life hasn't changed like at all, right? Minus like PPE and all that kind of stuff. But then for people like me, I've been all remote since March. So my life has completely changed. And I think really kind of adjusting to those changes and realizing that like kind of everybody is at a different part. Everybody's being affected differently. And having that kind of, Miranda, I like what you said, like that common ground, that common hurdle that we're all here, we're all experiencing it, but it could be slightly different. I think those
0: differences in how we experience it, I think we've touched on them here before in, in something because within the health service, you know, when there was the whole clap for carers thing and, and stuff like that, and there's that weird sort of sense of being a bit of a fraud because I'm not in a hospital, I'm in the community. And I'm I'm going to work, and I am seeing people. And and when you sort of logically think about it, I am putting myself in more danger because I am going to see people and having co- more contact with more people. But I'm not, you know, sort of facing the ginormous acute pressures. So there is even in within the level of kind of the health workers, there's that different layering and different different pressures and different feelings that are going on.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think there's two things that I've I've been pinging as people have been speaking. One is um, someone's done an image once of we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And I really like that because it reflects some of that subjective differences that we are all perhaps facing a common obstacle, but we might not even be on the same body of water as well as not just in the same boat, that your circumstances and your wider environment makes such a massive difference and the other thing is that as Kate talked when it first started with the clap for carers in the UK context and it was like there's this huge narrative of the hero NHS healthcare worker and it was for me I found it actually the first time since I'd left practice that I was like oh, I feel guilty that I'm not in practice. I feel like I should be there. And it was a really unusual context. And it took me time to kind of work out and to process where I was at with that and perhaps what was influencing that. But I think, as Kate just said, that narrative of actually even within healthcare, there's so many differences of what that day-to-day life is like.
3: Yeah, just in terms of what you've just said, Ruth, that's a really similar kind of feeling to how I felt and still do to some extent, I suppose that kind of I should I should be I should I should be doing, I should be going. No, do I go in like uh, I don't know, join bank or something and and do some temporary work or and then guilt of like oh I don't I don't, know, I don't know whether I can I don't know I just mean and I, I yeah that was really really strong But oh, the start and kind of still is and I've had to kind of rationalise my role now my purpose and and in some ways it's kind of helped to. Um, I suppose it gives you that extra momentum to kind of you always want to do your best but to almost kind of double that up a bit because you're you know working with these students that are going to go out and be doing this job and you want to kind of equip them with the best you can to be able to do that so and I think in general that kind of wave of guilt throughout about knowing there's people in all sorts of different positions and suffering in all different ways and and you know there'd be days when I kind of wouldn't be feeling so good for it, but we'd have to give myself a little kind of slap around the face at the end of the day and a bit of kind of, OK, let's just think about this. Think about, you You know, you're very lucky, really, to you what I mean? So, but yeah, it's like that, that waves of guilt, I suppose.
6: <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, guilt is, is like a good word for it and just a huge pressure. I think that we probably a lot of us are putting ourselves under because Kate, same as you, you know, I'm, I work in the community. So I'm where I'm doing two days from home, three days in, in the clinic. So on one level, things are pretty not that not that different. But then if I actually think of my three days in the clinic or my two days working at home, like what we're able to offer people is so different at the moment, you know, from like resources perspective. I think I, I had just started the current job that I'm in about three or four weeks when we went into lockdown. So just under a year ago. And, you know, my vision was like, great community mental health job. I can't wait. And you're going to be out in the community, you're going to be meeting in coffee shops, you're going to be doing visits, you're going to be doing home visits. And, you know, that was the case for three weeks. And then immediately we were into lockdown and haven't done any of that. So I think, you know, it's also about realizing we can't offer the perfect intervention at the moment and we can't offer the perfect kind of, or the exact type of intervention that our clients maybe were referred for or that we would like to provide Really, for me, it's just been a bit more changing gears the last few months to say, well, like, yeah, you know, this is going on much longer than we imagined. And we can't offer like a perfect intervention at the moment, but here's what we can offer at the moment. And, you know, who knows down the line, that's the bit that I'm finding harder more than even like the routine or the schedule and that kind of stuff, you know.
0: Definitely. I think I had a a, a similar thing. So I um, changed early intervention teams from one area to another and went into a job that has an OT specific element to it um, from one that didn't and then um, everything shut down and actually the OT stuff as much as I prioritize it actually if we're only seeing people if we absolutely have to that probably has to go and then it sort of trickled back in and had sort of this combined sense of exactly what you just described that we we weren't offering what we wanted to be offering but also this sort of sense of inadequacy because like the online community was starting to go oh we've created these online groups and we're doing this virtually and we're doing that virtually so yeah there's like a sort of I'm not giving what I want to do and all these other people like yeah it's like comparing yourself to other people and the that bit of it as well
6: yeah and I think thinking like uh, that we would be so much better set up I remember like when the first you know wave hit. We didn't have access to telehealth and things like that where I worked. And then, you know, again, that leaves you totally helpless because you can't run a group over phones, right? Like, or, you know, just dial in type teleconferencing.
2: I think too, in the very beginning, even if we came in as practitioners wanting to do all of our therapizing with our clients, our clients were not ready for that because they were dealing with all the stressors in their own lives. And I remember in those those first couple of weeks, the first couple of months of really just like taking a step back and talking to the parents and just be like, "What do you need help with right now?" Like, I think as well the
4: if that was the beginning, I think there's still that bit at the end of all this that we talk about things getting back to normal, but things won't ever go back to normal. And I guess I for me personally, having gone through quite a big health issue a few years ago and the whole way through treatment was like when I get back to normal when I get back to normal and it was at that point that I really struggled because it it wasn't and nothing felt right and everything felt different and I'd had this experience and I think there's a potential for this kind of global feeling of I don't know, we've been through this trauma. So actually things aren't going to get back to exactly how they were before, because we'll have always had that experience. So for our clients, but also for us as the therapist, we've got to work out how that's going to feel, give ourselves time to feel that way and work out what current feels like rather than normal, if that makes sense. And Fiona, just as you've talked about
1: it being as that experience, it pinged in my brain this phrase that I've used a few times that sometimes just in my personal life, if you've had like a hugely significant holiday or a really significant experience that you've almost had this bit where you've like gone through the wardrobe into Narnia and had this amazing experience of that's lasted this long. And then you come back. And nothing else has changed. And you're like, oh, but everything has changed. But n- almost it's it doesn't quite match up with the world around you. And I I actually really liked that description of it in the podcast around how challenging it might feel when we're getting back to certain things. Although it will be like that phrase you used, Kate, was great about restitching a new garment it won't be that we get back, but there will be things that you regain and it might feel emotional, for want of a better word.
4: Yeah, I think as well, though, it's also that recognising that whatever, it's, it's like occupations, whatever occupations were important to you before a really massive, significant event may not have any meaning to you afterwards. So we've got a whole load to share with people about what do you want to do now. So having had that experience, what's Okay, what is that thing? Having realised that life can turn itself on its head. What is that book you want to write, that career you want to go for, that thing you want to do? So I I think I love the fact that they just put this website out there. And I think we have to be quite brave as a profession to kind of
5: put that out there for people. That really like that's the thing I liked probably most about the podcast was like how enthusiastic the girls were like they were so fresh and so uh, excited I don't know if that's the right word but so you know they were (laughs) and I feel like I've literally aged 10 years during the pandemic (laughs) in terms of like myself but in terms of clinical work and everything like I just it's it takes so much more out of me during this period and so I loved hearing that and that gave me a bit of a kick up the arse as well but, it, like, it's what you said, like, I think even listening to it, like, it, it really made me reflect on my own practice, you know, what the, what they were saying really was, you know, I, I know we've all had different experiences, like, and it was funny what you said, Sarah, like, you're, like me, like, working from home since day one, but I feel like in a weird, like you were saying, so your life has changed a lot, and it has, like, working from home is completely new to me, but also I'm still doing the same exact work. So. It's, but I'm not doing the same exact work like we were saying. Like, we're not able to give the same level of therapy or the same quality of therapy. So, that's like causes a kind of a lot of dissonance for me. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm just age. It's so draining, like, doing five, six, seven, eight Zooms a day for nine months and not having two seconds to just go like, what am I doing? What's going on? Um, should I be doing this? Uh, yeah, I think their freshness and their enthusiasm really gave me a bit of, yeah, and again, touching on what you said on is what the guilt like, like what I felt like as I really threw myself into work, doing extra work, doing loads of extra work and just having nothing left over. And so hearing them kind of talk about that I was kind of seeing it through fresh eyes and so that made me feel kind of better but also made me feel guilty that I was being hard on myself so then that was (laughs) that was another little twist to it but um yeah it really made me it really made me stop and think and reflect on us and something they talked about specifically was like therapeutic use of self which I thought was really interesting again seeing that through their eyes and like I definitely think we're all opening up a bit more to our clients now or our students. (laughs) You know, the cats are coming in, the postman's at the door, you know, something, whatever happens, you know, and we, we can't obviously plan for that. And again, I think as a young therapist, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, I would never say anything personal or that veneer would be there and obviously as I've become more comfortable I definitely open up more as as it's appropriate but <laughs> with it, like I mean people are literally in your house you know so that changes it so again seeing that through their eyes like they're very open to like what the, um, the one girl was saying about the you know she was panicking being out and about so you know they were I think they were much more open about therapeutic use of self or much more comfortable with therapeutic use of self maybe that's an American thing I don't know but it was really nice Um, yeah so it just maybe think a lot and reflect a lot yeah.
1: And that aspect over like everything being online about there's almost a barrier of it but there is almost a greater intimacy of it as well like that's Hmm. really fascinating almost isn't it the the actual nature of it that. You're not quite there connecting with the person in the same way you would normally, but yet they do see more of your actual life sometimes. And it it has, it's redefined, I think, the nature of interactions because you don't have any casual ones anymore. They're all intentional because you have to actually seek it out or do something that makes it happen. You don't just bump into someone whilst you're making a cup of tea or as you're walking down a corridor or anything like that. So I think that aspect of how it's changed interactions is, yeah, has been something I've clocked a few times.
6: I think also, I mean, we're, um, COVID is obviously impacting us all and in a lot of ways negatively, but definitely like in our practice, I think most, most OT's practice, it's opening up telehealth in a whole new way and something that was totally underutilized before, I think. And, um, I think realistically for everything going forward, it's going to be some kind of hybrid model, right? Of you know, conferences, things like that are going to be offered both in person and remotely or virtually, which I think is a great thing. But particularly, like I've just had a few experiences and worked in the last few months where we ran a group on on an online platform. Um, And it totally surprised me in some ways in terms of like how much different levels like people could participate at their own level exactly where they were at you know so lots of in the feedback at the end of the group lots of it was saying that oh it was actually like much easier to attend this group because you literally had to log on from your house so it wasn't a case of getting like public transport down to the place or if the weather was crappy as it so often is here in Ireland in the winter then uh, you know that wasn't an off-putting thing it was a gardening group by the way so like it would have been outdoors (laughs) Um, and then also just even in terms of like being able to log on like somebody who would have had quite a lot of anxiety about joining a group but was a big gamer, so was very comfortable, actually, with, like, online platforms. Um, and they were able to come to the group and, like, attend with their camera turned off for a couple of weeks. It really struck me like that that was somebody who wouldn't have come to the group if it was in person. Definitely not. Um, and because maybe in person there's not that option to customise or grade participation in the same way, you know. There's 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 possibilities and opportunities in it as well, I think, that we can, can all take.
3: I, yeah, I completely agree with that idea that there is something about kind of everything moving online that I suppose thinking from a kind of my experience of like a teaching point of view where you, you want to be with people and you want you want to be with students and they like to kind of be with each other and stuff. But I think there's been certain sessions like that I think has had more engagement because it's been online. And I think, you know, just things like using chat boxes without having to speak engages some students that maybe wouldn't have said anything before or wouldn't perhaps have engaged or put their point of view across or or come to the session those kind of things and I love that I love that that's opened up a kind of a window of opportunity. I also love the idea of that grading in the totally new modern way of kind of accessing an online group and even just things like this I suppose just where you can bring people together like internationally is is fantastic so there's 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 lots of kind of pluses in that respect I think. Obviously, there's lots of things that'd be nice to see people in person, but hopefully things like this will carry on. And, and I think it will change things like teaching. I think big changes that I think will stay, to be honest. But I'd still like to pe- see people in person as well.
0: <laughs> I think one of the um, things that I saw relatively early on was the absolute sense of outrage from the disability community about how they have been asking for these things for years and years and years. And, years, and all of a sudden, boom all these things that were impossible here they overnight are yeah it hadn't really occurred to me but it's just jaw-dropping isn't it
5: exactly like and I think that, that that part of it as well the fact that it was literally overnight I think a lot of people were that gold a lot of people <laughs> it can be done it was done um and the colleges certainly turned it around overnight and it, it really puts the lie to that that like it couldn't be done when it easily was done
3: Yeah, you can understand that. I think there's that change in general, isn't it? How much changed overnight and things put in place and generally how long does change take (laughs) usually? Yeah.
1: And I think like you're dead right to bring out that obviously that would give people outrage because they were right to be outraged. But it almost shows up that blind spot that there was there and then at that moment that these things were inconceivable and then suddenly they were oh actually that's just what we're doing because we do have to but I wonder like what the next thing of that almost would be you know like we'll say something now that's impossible and then whatever pressure point like necessity is the mother of invention type idea that you hit a brick wall with something and you suddenly find a way through it yeah like did change happened very rapidly but it was the sheer volume of necessity for it that made that happen and you wonder what's being said now going we must do this we must do this we must do this that people aren't quite listening
5: or to or hearing or I don't know what the next thing is, but just as a question, do you guys think, do you guys think like for people who are disabled or even things like carers or, you know, people with caring responsibilities, do you think this could be a real change? Obviously, not everyone permanently working from home, but having the flexibility. I think from an academic point of view, having done it,
4: all but in the face of a global pandemic, we've shown it can be done. I don't think we have any reason to not to to sort of come back on that now personally think that flexible option will be there because it does give accessibility I mean for us it's OT training but it gives accessibility for people to come and do the training where in the past that might have not been present even down to the virtual placements and I don't know the, the opportunities for everything have changed so I don't think it all stay exactly as it is forever I think once we can go back to some face-to-face that will happen but I think that mix will stay I mean from a sustainability point of view as well it's it's much better that all the staff at Derby aren't getting into their cars and driving to Derby to deliver something if they don't need to be there to do it yeah there's a whole there's a whole other element to it as well so I hope that option will always stay really now
1: I think there was a really lovely tabley thing that RCOP put out at one point that was about um, once we've got past the crisis almost of the pandemic, there'll be certain things that we've started during this period that we'd then want to stop. And there'd be other things that we stopped doing before that we'd want to bring back. But then there's almost other things that we've started during that that we'd like to continue They put it much more articulately in said table. But I thought it was a great concept that just like every crisis, the Chinese symbol for crisis has got both challenge and opportunity. And I really like that that I feel that's what COVID has been. It's been like a host of different challenges, but also within that, that there are different opportunities. And for me, part of the beyond COVID ethos was about, as Fiona said, those people recognizing that OT has something to offer and something to give the world. And almost the world has had this period of evaluation of, Actually, what does it mean for me when my occupations change, and how does that impact me? And what does it feel like if my occupations are disrupted? And almost that that gives opportunities for speaking into that experience for the world as well. And I really liked that that's what they'd done, but that they'd done it in a way that they talked about it being boundaried for themselves as practitioners, that they didn't allow it to be so much driven by the need that they lost that capacity for self-care and knowing when you've given enough and you need to stop and just look after yourself. I thought there was loads of good stuff all in that.
0: I think for me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. And and it's one of those no-brainers that I slightly worry isn't a no-brainer to the people in charge, because actually it's giving us more different ways of meeting different people's needs. And why would we take that away? Because We have done it virtually and it would be outrageous to sort of suddenly say, no, we can't do that. My slightly pessimistic side thinks that they might well just kind of roll a lot of it back away and go, oh, well, now give us all our tech back. We can't afford it anymore. But just in terms of like when you do need to see someone face to face at the moment, there's always a room available. That's amazing. That never happens. Um, Like that side of it as well, which is ridiculous. But actually, should it, they, they? They must be able to see that sort of estates and facilities benefit as well. I used to hate that in practice.
4: You know, when you had your really busy, I've missed. I don't miss that at all. When you had your really busy diary, and you had so many people you had to see, and it all had to work around whether the treatment room was available. But there's a benefit to this.
5: Yeah, I think I think that's so true. Like that really resonates with me because I think, like as OTs, most of us want to really meet people where they're at you know that's part of our values and our ethos and obviously physically and sort of figuratively and meet people where they're at (laughs) we're so often constricted by the structures of the services that we work in or the institutions that we work in that really inhibits us from doing what we want to do and enabling the client and so again i think that's where this flexibility comes in hopefully as a permanent change like i can definitely see it like it's the need is there, the desire is there from my client group to do by video. They're happy. I work with (laughs) a million 20 year olds and they're happy to do it. And there's for sure people who have come to me by video who would never have come in person like you guys were saying before.
1: And I think some of this, when someone was talking about it, pinged in my head about the PEO model. It's that idea of how we're doing things occupationally has almost changed and that changes the accessibility but also like this wider environment around us has changed so it's it's all how all those things are interacting together that makes it whether it's working or whether it isn't working but that having found some elements of it that do work well we're never going to want to give them up and it would be great to be able to incorporate them and to have that like proper dual flexibility but I almost like as Kate said there's a little bit of the cynic in me that goes but actually it's quite hard to do two things at once sometimes it's like now's almost easier because we have to focus and do it in this way and everybody's accepting of it and there's there's almost less Options, so that makes it clearer cut. Whereas if you're trying to meet everybody's needs and everybody's needs are really different, then that kind of spreads it a bit thin and a, a bit complicated.
0: So I was I was interested in conferences, and I initially thought how fantastic it is that they would be virtual and you could go to them as and when it suits you. I, I signed up for the OT show, and then it completely fell down because because I could access it anytime I didn't and um and then I think the deadline for when you could access it was like over Christmas or something so I completely missed that so I think I saw nothing from it at all so there is an element to which I need something to happen at a time that I have to do it because otherwise there are so many other things competing that um things sort of slide and disappear
1: yeah, I agree with that. I made a few sessions of the OT show and then had every intention of listening to more. And I've like I think conferences have been quite interesting because there's been some of them that I've been able to attend as a participant that perhaps I wouldn't have before, and even if I can't do all of it, I'm able to like do a little bit of juggling and get a little bit of something that otherwise I wouldn't and that's been fab. And then there was one that I presented at and it didn't feel like I'd done anything at all because the actual interaction from other people who'd been there was virtually minimal. And then they're getting a slightly more jazzy as they go along. And I never did it at the OT show, but there was like a separate chat room almost that you could go into where the presenters were hanging out or other people were. And I thought that might be quite interesting to try and mimic some of that casual interactions that you don't expect to have as well as the attending of the actual sessions
6: I I know when we we had um the AOTI's one was back in October was it Mm -hmm. yeah October and yeah, yeah there's that bit is definitely missing I think the nice kind of collegiality bit and the conversations over coffee and stuff like that but I actually found Twitter really stepped in in that regard as in just like I was sitting in my office alone I'm the only OT in my building so like you know I was kind of like in between sessions and presentations you kind of really want to have this like chat and follow-up and reflection Mm -hmm. on something which you can't have when you're just logging in remotely by yourself but I actually thought that Twitter Kind of made up for it. Like you could follow the hashtags, you could follow different people, and it just gave it a little bit of that sense of like connection and buzz about a certain topic or about a certain presenter.
5: I texted people as well. (laughs) Irish OT has never been so organized as the OTI conference this year. Like it is unprecedented. Um, And actually at the mental health advisory group, which is always brilliant, (laughs) like it's just always really high quality, but there's normally about 40 or 50 people come. Over a hundred came to the advisory group because, again, normally it's in Dublin and you know not everyone can come across. And um, so that was amazing, and the like little bit of buzz on Twitter. But then also they did do a little kind of a breakout room at the you know the last half an hour or something, and it was really good. So yeah, I was really bowled over by. So we had our conference and then our start advisory group day, and they were both really good, and I was pleasantly
0: surprised. So I think that's interesting because the Arcot conference just got released, didn't it? And that made me start thinking about this because so I think it might be that there's a whole heap more people who could then make it. But I wonder whether there's an extent to which it's worth pre-planning some of that side of it, whether or not you'd hope Arcot would do that as well but you know even on a sort of regional basis or a Mm. you know sort of something pre-thinking about there are going to be these gaps in the timetable maybe Mm. we could have a massive zoom call with anyone who is interested in these bits of it or yeah
4: I was just thinking I was thinking the castle memorial lecture was like that
0: though
4: I could just finish work and my daughter sat and watched it with me so it was kind of like I don't know it was a bit more of like an event thing and I've never have Seen it as that, but because it was there and it was accessible, and I could have it on when I was making my tea. It was, um, yeah, it was a really positive thing.
5: Yeah, I think you're right as well. What you were saying, like, if I think if it goes by yet, like, the idea to me then of later on sitting down to watch seven hours of videos <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> like, realistically, it's probably not going to happen because I'm on Zoom from nine till five, but flip side. The barriers are removed for, you know, geographically, accessibility-wise, whatever, even even cost-wise. So there is a lot of benefits to it, I think. And I think that's the truth for everything, isn't it? Like, so when
1: I looked at doing groups teaching over the summer, I contacted loads of OTs who were doing groups at that point in time. And actually, we just talked about what were the different benefits and what were the different limitations. And it's almost like you've just exchanged them for. A different set. It's not that you're thinking through the OT process any differently. You're still thinking about Mm. where is it going to be? When's it going to be? What's the content going to be? What's accessibility? But it was just a different way of doing it. So I think that will be true with conferences as well. I liked what you said, Kate, about it'd be nice if it, like with teaching, we often say to students, actually, you're going to have to find ways yourself of mimicking the rest of the university experience that you were getting a lot out of because it's not just about the lecture. It's about how you had a coffee with your mates afterwards and talked about what you understood about it. And in all these different occupations of our lives, when they go online, they're done slightly differently and you have to almost work out, if we went back to that pockets of joy bit, what's the ingredients in it that you need and how do you get those in another way it's it's almost like activity analysis isn't it
0: thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed our chat next time we'll be listening to how to fail with elizabeth day series 9 episode 7 with nadia hussein we hope you can join us then